When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined today by What Culture Gaming, Scott Tailford. Hello. Kind of a different uh, perspective, but before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, Dynamite, Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews on occasions, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. It's very professional. In gaming, I just sort of hit the button. I go, hey, John. Gosh, you know, the thing that happened on Saturday, we should talk about that for a bit. Well, Wilborn's got this radio experience. He does. And I try and just copy his intro verbatim, <laughs> and then we just sort of dovetail off is the master. into there. Yeah, so, Tailford, Hi. you are an AEW fan. Very much. Who does, who does not need to watch it at all. You do not cover it professionally. No, true. You watch it because you like it. Yes. And theoretically, were you to stop liking it, uh-huh. you could just stop any old time. Yeah. Because you have no obligation to watch this show other than your personal enjoyment of it. Very true. What are your general thoughts as a very casual fan of AEW? <laughs> I'm not saying that's anything to do with your investment. Oh, no, I very much am. Like, I keep up with stuff, but yeah, yeah I'm not like a... Every time I talk to... Because the thing is, as well, talking of how much I wanted to do this, I only ever talk to my wife about AEW, or if I can randomly grab some on the, st- on the street or something. It's very rare that I can actually talk about this stuff. So when Wilborn said he wasn't going to be in because of the Super Bowl, I was like, well, I can talk about Rampage if you want to yeah. let me talk about Rampage. So, um, yeah, so that was my... That was how much I wanted to get in on this and just have a, an excuse to talk about stuff. Um, but yeah, my investment is still just tapering or coming off all the uh, punk MJF stuff. I talked about this when I was on with Murray and Phil. Um, a couple of weeks ago Rampage is a weird fit and it's funny because we talked about this last year when it was like all the stuff was going on with all the injuries and whatever else and we were both saying like that idea of like oh my god week to week it's just not grabbing and so I think I'm still going with it because it's almost got that TV weekly feel where I might as well just watch the latest episode and see what happens yeah. um, but it's not that things like everything with Jade isn't so played out that I'm, I'm very aware of those things but I'm always watching with hope um, and it's, it's definitely the, the, just a literal wrestling like side of it that I just want to watch those matches at some point. Absolutely. So do you watch Rampage every week? Yes, I, w- I went through, I was watching everything. I was watching Rampage, sorry, Dynamite Rampage, Dark, Dark Elevation. Jesus Christ, you're more I was I'm casual <laughs> compared to these. <laughs> I was doing everything. Elevation. I know. Well, the thing is, like, I, I did everything when I first came in. That was most of last year. I was doing everything. And then, which is ironic because Dark and Dark Elevation are much better now. Like they actually do have, like Omega had that singles match. Like Yeah, that was awesome. They do more now. And it's like, but for me, I've kind of just, because last year was just just so all over the place. I did stop watching as much. I've always watched Dynamite and Rampage since uh, Punk came back, like whatever that was, two years ago. 
Um, so yeah, I always keep up with Dynamite and Rampage. I treat them as the two main ones kind of thing. So that, that's as much as I'll keep up with at the minute. What did you think on a general broad level of mm. this week's edition? I thought it was fine. I, Rampage is weird because I, I like that it's a shorter runtime because I view it like a TV episode. I'm like, oh, I can just squeeze 40 minutes in on a lunch break or something. Um, so I quite like that. Off the top of my head, I can't even think. I didn't. The main, I remember thinking the main event was a bit naff. I'm coming across terrible right now because I forget what the actual card was. That's fine. I know this we'll is, go no, through no, 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 it. This is interesting to me because we have the same thing. I have a bit of dread, frankly, on a Monday. Uh. Because I watch this show, try to watch on a Saturday morning in advance of the kids getting up. And then mm. by the time I get to Monday, one, no one's talking about it. Two, <laughs> I've forgotten, which kind of I think, it's not on me as an analyst, right. yeah. Scott. It's on how forgettable these shows sometimes I would agree. are. So you thought it was fine and forgettable. I thought it was fine. I think as that's we go, Rampage. As we, <laughs> you should get a t-shirt that just says, that's Rampage. We, um, I think as we go match by match, things will, I'll remember stuff. The thing is, the most memorable thing was Hangman yelling about eating a certain part of a certain other person. That is more memorable than most of the other matches that happened on that show. Um, but I think as you go up, um, match by match, it might come back to me. But like you said, it speaks volumes that neither of us can really scream about it right now. Absolutely. We'll go through... Uh Segment by segment, I'll give you my brief thoughts and then um, hand over to Scott. The uh, show opened up with a trios match uh, between the Blackpool Combat Club, represented by John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Utah, against Kip Sabian and the Butcher and the Blade. Mm. Fun little match, action-packed. Um, I almost resented a bit of it because I think, other than the Claudio Blade um sort of through line, if you like, and then Moxley kicking ass when he finally got tagged mm-hmm. in. I felt like this was yet another attempt to get Wheeler Yuta over in the context of it because it starts off, he's getting kind of outwitted by Kip Sabian, mm-hmm. who's playing his sort of manipulative heel character, and uh, Wheeler Yuta bores the brunt of that. And then mm-hmm. deeper into the match, when the BCC take control, Yuta starts to really grow into the match to the extent that he just smashes Butcher with this awesome German. Yes. And that's really cool. So it once again tells the story of Wheeler Yuta being this sort of young, unproven guy who can get his ass kicked, but his <laughs> spirit gets him revved up to a point where he can then go and suplex the butcher, and it looks awesome. Yeah. I feel like they've told that story with Yuta one million times, but it's difficult to invest in his character. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm interested in your perspective on this, mm-hmm. because there's not much to say about the match. It was really fun. It was solid, yeah, yeah. It was solid. It was really fun. It's not something that was iconic or you're mm-hmm. likely to remember. I think it's more interesting to get your thoughts on the character of Wheeler Yuta. Yes. Do you think they've taken the piss with him? Do you think that the roster is so bloated that it's almost impossible for... If Wheeler Yuta had a debuted under these circumstances or similar circumstances in this company in February 2020, mm-hmm. he might be someone massive now. I feel like it's impossible to get behind Yuta because they're trying to tell this patient, slow burn story and there's nowhere for him to go. And yeah. that's why it's cyclical for me, these performances. My thing with, my, there's a lot of things with this, because I, I, like my, one of my favorite matches so far is the Utah Mox match. Yes, the my match over. of the year last year. I, and like, that was incredible. Like that was just, there was so much like pain on his face. There was so much blood. There was so much stuff he was like fighting through. And it was like, oh my God, you've just been reborn in blood. Like that yes, was incredible. Yes, Like I loved that. That's and the then metal head like, and Scott Taylor. <laughs> <coming out. laughs> like I absolutely loved that. But I feel like from that, uh, the thing is like, the, I, 
I like I'll just say this as like a casual fan and we'll pick it apart. The amount of Ring of Honor stuff that just got in the way of what I cared about, like across last year, I feel like Yuta was a victim of that because it was like he had that incredible match with Marx, and then I forget the title belt that he won with Ring of Honor, but ROH Pure, but that tells its right. own story. Yeah, he had to go and like sort of do things with that. And it was just like you had this, like I said, like sort of new character, this new version of this new lease on life and you know, a different attire, it's darker and whatever. And then you didn't really see that side of him that much. You were just told about it. And I'm always a big show don't tell person anyway. Yes. So it was a lot of that. And I mean, for me, it stems back to, I have a more core, I always had a core problem with the combat club. I don't want to see people like Marks, Danielson, whatever, like just put in a faction and just kind of forgotten about. Like, I forget who Stallings Meltzer said, like, oh, it's a shame to do that with them because they're such big deals. There was someone, some pundit person said that. And I remember thinking the same thing. Um, but I never just I never bought that whole like oh we're, we're so tough lads oh we can take anyone on like well go do it then like I want to see it like I don't need you to tell me like I would rather you just did it and so yeah like it's just with you or I always felt that he had this like tenacity that was quite unique because he was so unexpected and then he was this like firecracker in the ring he's like this incredible performer but for me they never got anywhere close to that mox you know, the, the mox match again yeah and so yeah like I feel like when you kind of go through to him now I have that same problem where like I don't really want to see mox and Yuda in trios matches. I don't really enjoy the combat club. Like I don't know how much I'm on my own island with that, but I never enjoyed the combat club. Um, mainly because it was just called the Blackpool Combat Club. And I was like, I've been to Blackpool. It's not like that threatening. I was just like, I did, whatever. It didn't. That didn't. It did very little for me. And uh, and we, hanging it on Regal, whatever. Like my reference for Regal is obviously two decades old when he was yes. little toe rag that guy. So for me, it all kind of comes from that. So I always I want more from him. But if the bar was set with that Mox match, then for me, they've never got anywhere near that again. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a lot of tell don't show with the BCC and the JAS feud in general. With oh the idea God, was yeah. so thin of yep. we like sports entertainment, not like this lowly professional wrestling league. We're going to defend the honor of it. It went on for I think seven months. Way too long. Way too long. Whatever it was, and it was so thin of a premise. The idea of. They love wrestling so much that they're going to go to war with Jericho for seven months to win this battle. <laughs> I just found it ridiculous. I Same. found it. There was no. I never believed that Moxley, Danielson, or Castagnoli truly despised Chris Jericho no. and what he represented, his philosophy for what this was. It just. Well, Went only, on and on and on. Yeah, that only worked because of all, like a pre-Triple H WWE or whatever. Like it was that old version of WWE. It has to rely on the idea that WWE is this faker, even faker version of wrestling or whatever it is, this glitzier, showy version of wrestling. And we are the real wrestling. We really care about wrestling. Um, and obviously there was that whole thing with Vince being replaced Triple H, whatever. That kind of changed the the value of that storyline. And they didn't really roll with it. They still just kept going with I mean, they binned off all the Daniel Garcia stuff. Yes. Like all the You're a Wrestler stuff. There was a little bit there that was maybe going to happen. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a few. I mean, this is a whole separate thing, but there was a few things last year that felt like they were going in a certain direction, and um, like the Garcia thing, um, and then like MJF going face or whatever, and then they just go, just course correct, just keep going with what we had and just keep it going. Like the JAS stuff is exhausting right now because there's nothing I hate to it. it. Like, I hate it. Yeah, and I was just like, that only works if like he plays up the I'm not really in in this to fight. I'm in this for the showboaty nature of it, which in itself only works if you believe that WWE is in it for the showboaty nature of it. So like. None of that stuff works. Like, Shallow yeah. meta nonsense. It's yeah, become. and it's fun. Like for me, coming back after a couple of decades, like you know, someone who did drop off because they stopped yeah. liking those matches in WWE. Um, you can kind of play that card, but you can't play it for months on end. Yes, I'm making that exact point in an mm. article that should be um, going up at some point today or this week on What Culture entitled um, The Disturbing Truth Behind AEW's Obsession with WWE, nice. where it's they are falling into the trap of tell, don't show storytelling, mm. and WWE, I don't think anymore, is anywhere near the heel that it used to be. So check that true, out true. as and when it drops. We get a quick... Uh, 
promo between Darby Allen and Sting, mm. where Allen is a good baby face shirt, says, look, I'm not going to challenge Samoa Joe for the TNT title again, um, but I'm going to have Ortiz's back. And then Sting followed up by saying that he and Allen will go out in a blaze of glory. It might be news for the casual fan or the televised <laughs> audience, but Sting has been talking in the media about how this is it for him. Right. He's going to retire at the end of this year. What did you get from this? What well, I, explicitly did he mean? I, I love Sting. Like, so I was like, I watched when um, Darby and Jamie Hayter were on the Tony Hawk's podcast and Darby was talking about what it's like working with Sting backstage and how Sting will just go to an arena and look around the around the whole space and be like, I can jump off that. I can fling someone off that. I can do this. I can do that. And Darby was like, he's just having so much fun right now. And it does feel like you know, he has nothing left to prove. Like, you might as well just have fun with everything. So it just made me go, okay, you have one big set piece spot left because the way that it's framed uh, from Darby's point of view is that, because he keeps saying that like, obviously Darby's a very like reckless, throwing himself into stunts, skateboarding stunts, whatever kind of guy. So for him to say, like, just in regular conversation, like, you don't understand how over the top Sting is backstage, the ideas he has or whatever. Um, you know, and he's just saying, like, this guy doesn't need to do any of this. Um, I have to imagine that, yeah, he wants to do some sort of big set piece thing. Um, I don't know whether Sting, I don't know what the dude's real name is, but Mr. Sting, whether he can actually ever fully not do this again. Like, yeah. it's been part of his life for so long. Um, that I wonder what that is. But yeah, I'd imagine some sort of big set piece thing, maybe something of blood and guts. I don't know. Some people were thinking that they could go for the tag team titles and that the I'd gun... take that over the guns. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah, take that. Uh, so the guns, everyone knows it to be a transitional title oh. reign of some description and that, they are, that they're not <laughs> going to hold these titles for a long time. I think a lot of people thought, well, either the acclaimed are going to get them back this allows FTR to get back into the mix. But mm. to be honest, like, I really rate FTR, but I'd love to see Sting and Darby. Look, That'd be I, fun. I'm yeah. a pedantic nerd. You know, undefeated <laughs> in tag team action. Right. They've defeated FTR before. Mm-hmm. They've defeated the Acclaimed before. Mm-hmm. They have never lost as a tag team. And I think that if wins and losses do ultimately matter in this promotion, it's weird that they... I understand why they haven't had a shot because you have to have a straight singles match and Sting can't really do... A uh, straight tag. Right, okay. Sting can't do them. But mm-hmm. I just want to manifest things on if this no podcast man, if they, times. If that's, if that's what the Blaze of Glory refers to... I mean, I love, like, how over-the-top Sting's strength is portrayed in, in his matches. Yeah, it's like, awesome. Just fling someone across the whole arena like it's great. So they could do something like that tag run. I mean, the thing is, like... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about gun stuff. Was gun stuff on Rampage? I'm blanking now. Was that on Dynamite? There wasn't anything... If you want to... Talk crap, get your crap off about guns because they're not on this show, but I want to hear it. Well, I think it's like an inverted positive because I love the things that remind me that anything can happen in terms of who can win. I loved Action Andretti beating Jericho. I love Starks beating Jericho. And on paper, I love guns being acclaimed because it proves that like you don't know who's going to win each yeah. match. And I need to know that if I'm going to find this compelling because I always hate I hate squash matches. They're, to me, they're so boring. Like I just don't care about that stuff. And if I know who's going to win, if it's like Mox versus like some jobber, then like he's gonna beat him like I yeah. just whatever so like I wanna have that um, that knowledge that underpinning that it could go the other way and obviously it's up to the match itself to do that but if that can genuinely happen then that adds a whole other dimension yeah. to these these fights so I'm gutted that, it, that the guns won but it works perfectly because I hate it because like it works as kayfabe because I hate, I don't think they're a good tag so whatever yeah. and it also works as like a, a way of reassuring the audience that like these things can't happen that it's not a surefire bet kind of thing so I had like mixed thoughts on that whole thing, but it has worked. It has worked. Um, I'm exactly the same. I Part of my problem last year is that, and again, I've used this phrase a lot. I apologize. The mega fans <laughs> will forgive me. They have this dream roster. Yes. And the 
barely interacted we with itself. We both said this last year, yeah, yeah. They ba- barely interacted with itself. And I think that over time, Tony Khan has seemed to recognise this. He's acknowledged this. Mm. We'd never have got something as awesome as Mox Hangman on TV mm. like at certain periods last year where that trope of his of established star beats up and comer or whatever mm. gets done to death. So I, ha- I think he has corrected it. And this result, as much as I don't like it, is probably fundamental to the wider... Yeah. Skate, uh, scope of things, if you like. Yeah. Uh, we've got a quick Rene Paquette teasing what's going to happen with Adam Cole on Dynamite, where he says he's not going to say anything on Dynamite. So your, that was very weird. What are your thoughts on Cole? Because like when he came back, and like I mean, I was, he's, Cole's one of my absolute favorites. Like him, Kingston, they're way up there. So like when he finally came back, I was so happy, and I love the way they seeded it by making you think, making you remember all the concussion stuff that was going on with uh, Mox and Hangman. And then it was like in the moment you're thinking like, well, the last time a concussion was a big deal was Adam Cole, and then he came out. Yeah. And then it was that whole thing of like, is he going to announce his actual retirement? Is he actually not capable to fight? And then obviously the twist of like, no, the bad news is for everyone in the locker room because I'm yeah. ready to go. But he wasn't ready to go. And then now it's like a week later, two weeks later, and we're just sitting down with him and he's still talking about recovering. And it's like, to me, watching that, not keeping up with every aspect of the, I guess, what he's really going through in real life, I'm just like, well, why did you even do the him coming out thing? Unless we're doing something a revolution, I guess. But I haven't thought uh, about this, mm. but it, you, may, you raise a good point. I think he's never cut in that promo in a million years if he's not ready. But they didn't necessarily have a story for him. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's probably a good idea from a financial point of view, to reserve him for the pay-per-view and have mm-hmm. the comeback match and pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did it in LA, it was, on January 11th. And again, as you said, we're on the th- like, well, when this was recorded, we were pretty much at the 11th to the 10th of February, mm-hmm. or when it was broadcast. Mm-hmm. So I think they've waited this month, not because they wanted to, but because that LA show was so big, mm-hmm. and they'd kind of um, stumbled into something silly with the Mercedes Monet thing. Right, where okay. a lot of fans manifested her debut when it was never actually on the cards and then they were stupid enough to kind of tease it at the same <laughs> time. So maybe, now that you've mentioned it, Scott, they put Adam Cole in LA with the idea of being, right, okay, well, if you don't get Mercedes money and you never really get conversation through great matches anymore mm. because they're so routine and frequent mm-hmm. that the Adam Cole thing might have saved the conversation and the discourse for that week. Maybe. It's just the thing is that you've said, like, that whole idea of, like, it doesn't feel like everyone is interacting with each other backstage. Like, Omega's been back for, like, a month and a bit, and he hasn't talked to Hangman. He hasn't been around him. He hasn't been seen in the same shot as him. Like, they, like if they're all existing in this nebulous, like, you know, space, like, backstage, this sort of invisible town hall before people come out and do matches and stuff, then why aren't they interacting with each other? Like, huge deal that Adam Cole is around again. Like, and Omega is around again. Like, there was that whole thing... When um, it was, I think maybe it was on PT, um, where you know Omega was sort of asking um, about one of the Adams, and they were, like, oh, do you mean Adam Cole? And he's like, no, I mean Paige. And it was just that they were seeding that idea that like you know Cole doesn't belong in the elite or whatever it is because they've, like it's something. Yeah, else. they've done that as well. Um, when Kenny Omega after Full Gear 2021, mm-hmm. he was the first person to appear on the Dynamite afterwards and said in a segment between with Cole and the Bucks, mm-hmm. I want you to hold it down. And Cole was like, yep, I've got this. He was right. like, no, I was talking to the books. Right, yeah. So the seed exists of, and it's been ongoing for quite some time, that Kenny Omega and Adam Cole don't particularly like each other, and they are going to have a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. I've got complete faith that it's all going to come together. Um, why isn't it happening yet? Mm. The idea of the elite 
just defending their trios titles and matches has been kind of a bit of a controversy. I don't mm. know how closely you are in the weeds of wrestling Twitter or if wrestling Twitter matters that much, but it is impacting the TV ratings. People feel like the elite don't necessarily belong in the organization or it just feels like they're on an island unto themselves mm. and they're getting impatient about the lack of story. What are your thoughts on this? I think that, well, I mean, the trio stuff is obviously just impacted by all the, the fracas that happened last year and it delayed all the momentum that the, the idea of trio stuff mm. had. Um, I always thought that they brought back the House of Black to have them challenge for the trios and maybe it'll go that way eventually. Um, I think I think the, the trio's wrestling in terms of like watching it, like it is coming into its own. I don't have any comparison points, but it feels like if the idea is to prove that trio stuff can matter, then trio's matches do have a certain pace to them at certain points in those matches where it's like, oh my God, so much stuff is popping off all at once. It's great. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm uh, curious what they do with it. It doesn't, I mean, for me, like Omega is fundamentally a singles guy. Like I get that obviously he's in the elite. He's always accompanied by someone, whatever, but I want that next Omega singles run. So like it's, it's almost my combat club problem where you take someone who's brilliant in singles stuff and you just kind of put them in a tag and it makes them like weaker in a way. Um, cause they can't tag in and dominate. Like it's almost like their power level goes down if I get all anime about it. Cause they have to be like, they have to share their power amongst the tag. Yeah. And that's the weirdest rationale, but like. Not for Omega it is, isn't he? He loves right. that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess for him. But uh, but still, it feels like yeah, he's like part of a tag, therefore he's weaker. Whereas like Omega, this superstar could kick out of anything kind of guy would be able to take everybody on because he's one of the best guys in the world. And so I don't want to. I want to watch that. I want to see those feuds and, and see what comes from that. Um, I don't mind them being. I mean, I like the Bucks. I like Omega a lot. Like Omega's one of my again one of my favorites. But um, yeah, the actual like trios belts they've not been that present. Like it was just sort of like all the stuff um, happened with Steel and Punk and whatever. And then once that settled, it was like okay, they're back. Wayward Sons, whatever, but they're not that present. Like, yeah. they did the, that set of seven matches, but sure, like, it was fine, but it didn't really, didn't really do much. That's interesting, because I think you are sort of on the pulse of what a lot of people are thinking, where I think there's been a little bit of impatience with them not telling a story, but at the same time, I'm not saying they're not interested. Mm. They break their bodies for it. They're still mm-hmm. bumping. They're still doing these deranged sprints that require a lot of physical <laughs> effort and commitment, but they're not doing much to, like, Build the matches. Well, it's weird. They don't feel... They feel like a... Tra- you could call the um, the guns like a transitionary champ. Like, this feels like transitionary trios belts. And for a new set of belts to be like, okay, we get it. Like, it's the Bucks and Omega. Okay, you might as well. Like, that felt more natural last year when all the momentum was there yeah. for, like, the tournament and stuff. Um, but it's almost like giving... When they give Cole the, um, the Bret Hart championship thing, it was like, well, you might as well give it to him. But, like, with the trios, it's like, well, they're not going to keep it long term. So how invested are we really going to get in this run? Um, is it meant to be more like the TNT stuff where it is going to ha- it's it's built to be a shorter run? Like, I guess we don't know as an audience how seriously they want the trios belts to be. be. Yeah. But you could give them the House of Black and they could have them for, like, a year or something. Like, yeah. It's just know. interesting because this is the second thing you've happened upon where you're a fan of your favorites are the most important Mm. and over stars in this promotion do more singles-based stuff. Now, it was very novel in 2019 when the promotion launched that it was very stable-oriented. It was something that wasn't a big part of WWE mm. at the time. Mm. It was something that it was senseless for it not to be a big part of WWE at the time mm. because from the Monday Night Wars and more recently with the resurgence period of New Japan Pro Wrestling, stables have dominated the narrative and spawned so many different matches that allowed the big matches on pay-per-view to unfold. Mm. Do you think that's becoming a bit passe and a bit patterned and maybe a bit profligate 
but waste well, of resources. I do think like bigger stables are boring. Like the more people that Jericho just hoovers up, I I just view stable stuff as boring because it means you can't fight everyone. It's just sort of like this general idea of like, well, I'm friends with eight other people, so it rounds off the idea of all those one to ones or two on ones or two on twos that could happen within that set of eight people. And I just if if it's a really good set of performers, I want them to be available in as many permutations as possible. So for me, the bigger the stable, the more boring it is. Just to ah. me, um, like JS being one of the worst examples of that. Um, like I would rather have, I guess, like Gossier against Guevara or something like that and have a reason for them to fight and talk about you're a wrestler, you're a showboat, whatever. Like, th- for me, that's way more interesting than yeah. just them standing next to Jericho for a bit. Yeah. So like, yeah, for me, it makes it boring. But that's not to say that I don't love a good tag match or trios match. I'll take anything as long as it's done well. Um, but the idea of, I view, I almost view stables as fundamentally restrictive because it just, it always means someone's going to run in. Like, I'm so, I'm so bored by Britt Baker, Hater, and Rebel. Like, just let Hater fly solo. Like, that's so boring to me. Ah. Um, like, yeah, so it's, I'll, I'll always take solo or whatever feels like it fits the story. Like, if something just feels arbitrary, then it's boring. Like, the JES is arbitrary and it's boring. Arbitrary is all hell. <laughs> and we get a little, that's a very, because um, a lot of people are raving about the stables. And I think that there was such a, and again, these trends shift all of the time. Mm. There was such a feeling in WWE in 2019. Um, in the years preceding it, mm-hmm. which, of course, informed all of this stuff happening in the background mm. that all converged to create AEW, that WWE didn't do stables, and they just repeated the same singles matches over and over again so that when AEW introduced the stable-based framework and allowed these multiple permutations of matches to happen, that it was novel. But now I do get the sense that you're saying this, everything I read online suggests that people just don't want to see Kenny Omega in a trios. No. As entertaining as it is in and of itself. Like, I think the imagination now feels like, well, if you've got one, and AEW should reward your imagination because they listen to you, mm-hmm. that maybe it's time that they not necessarily tear up their blueprint for what they've been doing for four years, but it is getting a bit old, as these oh. things tend to do. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on the gauntlets? But uh, the, the specific Stark Jericho one to me was pointless because he's already beaten him. So yes. like, the thing he's doing the gauntlet for, he's already done, and then he has to kind of bury that in the promo leading to it and sort of vaguely mention he's already beaten him, but it's it's just stupid. It's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing this quest to get this gold, but I'm already rich enough. Like, it, okay, it doesn't mean yes. anything. Like, um, but that stable thing, just quickly, I was going to say, like when I came in, um, it was the Inner Circle and House of Black and like not that many. I mean, House of Black was only like two or one person back then. It was forming or whatever. It was like Malachi and then it got bigger. But it's it needs to have scarcity. Like if if, if the if, like the elite were like a standalone faction, but if everyone's in a big faction, then it doesn't mean anything anymore. Like if the whole idea is... Um, you know, this this faction, they're backstage, they're doing stuff, they're, you know, whatever, um, they're making moves, then for me, that's less believable. If everyone's doing that, like, there has to be some sort of intimidation factor to people partnering up or, yeah. like, some sort of opportunity, yeah, opportunity factor to it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the opportunity factor no longer exists. What the, hell, what the hell is the firm? Like, the firm got MJF back and then now they've just gone. That was sort of cursed from the beginning. It oh. was meant to be MJF's stable that he would use to conquer AEW once and for all and win the title mm. and then because it just felt rinky dink because they needed to tease the fact that MGF could turn face that was the which I loved he was like oh it's all a mask and I, do, you, I don't want to be like this this is just what I do yeah. and it's like that's an interesting wrinkle to you but then you just, just abandon it again yeah I guess it's yeah the firm just never work and I do think that the 
if there's no real reason for a character to be doing something, that's when it starts to affect me. Why, why aren't you pursuing championships? Do you just want to be Chris Jericho's mate? Well, my, my, the most fascinating stuff for me is, is literally when you walk the kayfabe line, like right on the line, where you have someone tweet. Like I remember uh, Ethan Page was like tweeting saying uh, he's not that happy with his position. And I remember when... Um, like Dax said that but he was on cam and then then FTR went on to have that insane belt collector style run um, after that and it's just that idea of like you need to walk that line to make the most interesting storylines and like they they read like the firm stuff perfectly worked as a way of addressing the bloated roster talks online because you literally have someone like Ethan Page saying like well you guys don't buy my shirts and yeah. this is why I'm not booked and it's your fault and that totally works as a commentary like a metatextual commentary on the fans on the industry everything and then they don't capitalize on it and, like, MGF should be their biggest enemy to some degree because he moaned his way into getting the championship. You could frame it as. Yeah. Um, there's something really cool there about, like, if you kick up a stink online, you'll be rewarded. It's what Kingston's really annoyed about in the current stuff that's doing the round. Yeah. Or part of it, anyway. And uh, and that's fascinating. Like, to me, that's fascinating. Bring in the real you. Where does the real you end and where does the wrestler start? Yeah. That's, where, that's why I care the most. That's why I love Punk MGF because you couldn't tell where one yeah. of them ended and the next one started. So the, I want more stuff like that. And the more you, like blockade those things off the less interesting it is ah. well we do get a Ricky Starks interview where he says on the subject of Garcia that you can have <laughs> a match with him on Rampage um, next week and it's just a part of this building block to get to the match we've already seen I have no interest in it whatsoever Same. at this point I'm thinking if Ricky Starks has beat Chris Jericho yes there's that thin pretext to the rematch because they beat him up after the fact why can't he just pursue a championship again? If it was like a martial arts movie and the guy entering the warehouse full of goons stepped around the goons and beat the boss, it wouldn't matter that he's beating the henchman again. Yes. Like, I do not care about him fighting no. Garcia. Like, what What even is that? Like, other than... The, it feels like the same thing that happens with the women on Rampage where it's just the same four people in a rotation. It's like, now it's a tag version. Yeah. Now it's a triple threat version. It's like, can you not do something else <laughs> with, with this? Aye. Rampage I'm- is like its own little side universe. Indeed, and you get um, a bit of an extension of that, if you like, because the impractical joke has come out. They taunt Chris Jericho having stole his bat, oh my God. and they say some things to the effect of, you know, it's quite small, I expected you to have a bigger bat. They're talking about his cock. I jumped through that, and then because uh, I was I can't do a forced sponsored segment. I just can't do it. So I, I, I jumped through that for about a couple of minutes, and then I uh, when Jericho got up, and then they all came out, I was like, oh, they're going to go through a table. Cool, I'll watch them go through a table. Yes. So I, I'll watch that. Okay, so basically that is it. They go through a <laughs> table after talking about his bat, which is actually talking about his car. Is that what they're doing? Yeah. Little uh, getting in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's genius, that, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, hopefully the hundreds of thousands of people who watch Impractical Jokers but don't watch AEW, AEW's going to be WWE next week because all the Impractical Jokers fans are now going to watch AEW because yeah. that's how it works, except it never... <laughs> um, we get backstage interview. Um, Lexi Nair interviews Dustin Rhodes, which is just stupid enough to work. I love um, Dusty. An abandoned what? An abandoned warehouse. Dustin Rhodes talks about how the t-shirts look like Doritos. He likes Doritos, but he doesn't <laughs> like the t-shirts. He doesn't like them, and it's all a bit silly. And he just but when he goes off Doritos and talks about how you do not denigrate the Rhodes family mm-hmm. name, you believe everything he's saying. He's got that great old school worker ability mm-hmm. if you like then he gets his ass kicked but it's fine because you want to see him get up or certainly I did it oh, it's, I, yeah, I loved it I loved Dustin any thoughts on this angle yeah man I thought like <laughs> I liked him sort of channeling this other voice that he brought out like to do that whole promo it was just that bit with the Doritos where I was like oh okay you're very much thinking on your feet and your mind went there so you thought you'd talk about it for a bit um, and yeah it made it like a more of like a weird comedic beat in the middle of something that was otherwise very grounded um, it made me think of all the, all the Onko and Cody stuff because the only reason he's doing all that is to like do right by like his dad or whatever and win the title and all that kind of stuff and I was like that's interesting that in, in two sort of quote unquote rival companies they are like rival companies they're, they're both having a similar invoking the past as a 
reason to fight kind of thing. I was like, that's kind of cool that both brothers are doing like the similar kind of thing. So I like that. Um, for me, I love Swerve, but I think all the mogul stuff is like largely terrible. I love the idea of it far more than I like the execution. Of yes. It. Um, I like the, the thing is like I saw, I was on the Reddit for AW and someone was like, the idea of what he's going for is just this sort of like, like this rapper who like buys an entourage and it's like the worst looking dudes. Um, but it's prioritizing like protection and like intimidation and like, but he is this like rapper who performs, like, he was performing on the Jericho cruise. And so like, I'm sure, and they were standing on both sides of the stage during that. So it's like, okay, walk the cafe blind. Like yeah. the real him is performing, but whatever. I like that idea. But I just think, I mean, for me, those two dudes, like guy, that guy from the trust, Brock Lesnar Jr., like they're just so yeah. lame. Like, and I guess that's they the point. do not but... look. The thing is, it all falls apart when you see them try and beat somebody up. You yes. can see in their eyes that they are trying to look intimidating and protect their opponent, which they're not particularly trained to do. It mm. just doesn't come natural to them whatsoever. And then you just ruthlessly, like, undermine the idea of what they're meant to be because they're just so obviously very, very green. Mm-hmm. But just no one, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. What's the, I don't know what your, the, like, the people you're following online or whatever. Does anyone want to see that guy from Trustbusters and the dude with the face tats. Like, does anyone care about that? Those no, two? not really. Because <laughs> no, I was just not like, really. who are these other, who are these people? Like, They've become yeah. memes yeah. already. They've become memes already. Like, I, def- I do like the idea on paper of, you know, dude sends his henchman and he comes in after to deliver like the one line kind of thing. Like, that's kind of fun, cartoony villain stuff. And Swerve is almost like a, like an evil Bugs Bunny. So I'm like, that's fine. Um, ish on paper, but yeah. it was just like, they're not believable as a threat whatsoever. Um, and so that kind of falls apart for me. But I, I love, like, Dustin. I, I really hope he wins. Yeah, Probably exactly won't. No, but like, I, <laughs> I would love it for him to finally win something. Yeah. That would be nice. No, I think the deal here is that, I, again, there's so much to like about it, but mm. just the execution's too piss poor. You can have yeah. anything that's a great idea, and if you can't execute it, it's just not going to work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like, I could buy Trench, he's called, the right, guy with yes. the face tattoos. Trench and Parker are green. Mm. Obviously very green. They're not going to get an eliminator shot in my head canon of what they've cohesive fictional right. universe is. Mm. 
and they are going to go, right, okay, well, you could be slimy, green, henchmen who get paid, and maybe we can work our way up. Mm. They're not like established pro wrestlers who are just tiptoeing around Chris Jericho because they think he's neat. But also, like, the whole thing that um, when Swerve sort of fake snapped off Billy Gunn's finger or whatever that was, that was more threatening or more actionable as a violent act than anything the henchmen have done. Like, they've just sort of stood there for a bit. Like, yeah, they attacked us. So you believed Swerve doing something preposterous more than preposterous people doing something normal because of the level of experience that they have. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, it's not necessarily, like, a question of belief, but at least it was portrayed that way. At least, you know, at least, like, Swerve is... It's a weird... Like I said, he's a cartoon villain. It was, like, cutting to him, having Billy Gunn, like, tied to the chair, one lights on him in this, like, random dark room, and then he's, like, torturing the guy, like a Bond villain kind of thing. Like, that's more funny and memorable and whatever than just him standing with a couple of random dudes that are, like one on like you know meant to be threatening one on one like that's just so boring and it's like Swift clearly has so much more to him um but like yeah it's one of those things where i i get the seeds of what they're going for but it's just so barely like, they're not threatening they're not you no, know anything it's like, hard to take them seriously yeah. that's ultimately in the suspension of disbelief of even if it's silly you still have to believe in the silliness and for me it's just they're just green the you just, yeah just they need green. to like they needed to get involved in something that has actual stakes in it, and then Swerve prioritizes himself, but sends his henchmen in, and they actually like effectively dismantle something. Yeah, um, kind of like what the uh, MGS return was a bit like. Yeah, where it's like we're fun- we're going to inject ourselves here because we matter. Yeah, and it's like I need to believe that you are chasing this. Yeah, which I don't right now. No, fair enough, <laughs> absolutely fair enough. Um, we get Ruby Soho versus uh, Marina Shafia next. Mm. It's one of those where it's, I watch it on fight mm-hmm. because I'm a good boy, <laughs> and I see all of the action. But then you have I have this weird headspace where if I f- just miss here Excalibur saying action picture and picture or whatever right. then I think well, why is it so slow and tedious you and can always the, tell and why the commentators all oh, right that must be picture and picture and yep. I've just not heard him do that which is a shame because they worked a physical match that was unfussy and is based around the idea that Shafir is a legitimate killer and Soho is not one to be messed with and she can take it and come back up. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was fine, but it was butchered by the, the TV constraints, if mm-hmm. you like. But Soho wins and it sparks a mass brawl and then they set up the triple threat three-way, sorry, yep. that was going to happen the next week and I'm, knowing, I'm not interested in any of this. No. <laughs> My thing was... Watching this, I was like, okay, we're at a stage now where Rampage is like its own little side universe. I really like hate how little Jade is being used outside of the people who only appear on Rampage. And I was watching this going like, if they molded it properly, could you have Shafir be the one that takes the belt off Jade? Because it's like, are we just going to keep sitting and waiting for Statlander? Is that just literally all we have where you just throw the same people at uh, Jade over and over and over again? Because it was like watching, like, Shafir, like, looks awesome. Like, this idea of like, this almost cage fighter approach. She looks like Abby from The Last of Us 2. I like the whole, like, sort of tank woman thing. Like, it's cool. And so I was like, okay, you can absolutely destroy Ruby. I don't believe yeah. that Ruby Soho could beat her. Um, I think that's one of my things that I'm not, like, a big Soho fan. And um, I remember, like, you saying, like, you know, like, Soho came off, um, like, a couple of injuries, even as she was coming into AEW and, like, Whatever, she had like the, um, I think it was like her nose that got broke or whatever, like recently. Yeah, it, it was like a whole thing. Yeah. That. I'm just not a big fan of Ruby. I don't think she has very good momentum. I just, I don't buy much of the stuff that she's doing. She's sort of just, it's very kayfabe. It's just yeah. sort of, oh, she's, her power ranking is so high that if she nails this kick, you're going down for the three. Whereas like Shafir, I mean, that promo she did last year was like horrific. Oh, it was great though. It, you, you, yeah. want, you want terrible things. <laughs> you don't want mundane, bland things. Only it's... if you can frame it as like, I'm so unhinged that I just couldn't control myself and whatever. There's more you could do with her, I feel. I was just thinking like, I who's far too green personally. Right. No, she looked better this week than she has in ages. Like. Mm. I was just, I was just 
just curious, like, if she's on, like, an overall track to become something incredible, then I'm just curious, like, what do you do about Jade? Like, Jade is the real problem, if you talk about, like, oh, solving the problem. Yeah. Like, it's she, because she's such a, a, you could have a whole feud back and forth. Like, like you said, she is I forget green. Jade was there. If you, right. until you mentioned the name Jade Cargill, just then I forgot she existed. Every week she's I'm waiting on for, that island. Right, I see, that's the thing. Every week with Jade, I'm waiting for something to happen. Like, she's, like the biggest deal in for me to me women's the, the women's roster it's not Soraya yeah like it's I mean whatever so like I'm waiting for something to happen down that road and I was like well who's kind of big enough that you could have a fun physical back and forth a good match like whatever maybe it's Shafir it's almost definitely not no. um, because of things like the promo um, but yeah that was the thing that I was thinking about in this match rather than the match itself yeah. I was just like you could be maybe better used somewhere else yeah it's the Jade Cargill thing like I don't know if you know but it was meant to be Statlander yes. taking it off at Grand Slam it, a massive Statlander fan yeah that's just class but mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty inexcusable from AEW not to build any drama in the interim, and it does feel like they're just waiting for Statlander to return because Jade is just not the star that she used to be. Well, like, what's that? What was that weird Athena match? And then it still got that squash, and then it was like it was at um, one of the pay per views before Full Gear. Maybe it was at Full Gear, but Athena got squashed in her championship match, and then Athena went on dark and started being like a heel, yeah. and then Athena's just non-existent, not on Dynamite, not on Rampage. She should be on because she's yeah. class. Yeah, she's yeah. Really, let her dethrone really Jade. Good. Yeah. Like, none of that stuff makes any sense. And then, yeah, like, the whole uh, Storm and Soraya coming down. Like, I I, I just, I, my only frame of reference for Soraya is AEW Soraya, and I think she's terrible. So I don't, like, I don't even get what the deal is with her at all. So the deal is that she, like, women's wrestling used to be, like, this is the most reduced version possible. Yeah. But in WWE, which was pretty much everything at this point, it was... It wasn't quite brawn panties because they were PG, <laughs> like, years before Soraya... Um, was meant to have kickstarted this revolution, but it was like five minute matches, piss break. Mm. They get trained to a level where they don't injure each other. Five minutes in very soapy, silly stories. Yeah, it was lines, terrible. That was yeah. it. Then Soraya as Paige in WWE in like 2013 had this match in NXT that you wouldn't go back and watch it as a classic, but it felt revolutionary mm. for the time because mm. it was really more than competent and it was long mm. and it was treated as a big deal. And then a lot of people started to say, like, um, the main roster should be this. The main roster should be this. Now, there's this whole story where it eventually got projected onto WWE that she, they should do women's wrestling. And they said, you know what would be a good idea? If we did women's wrestling, it's like everyone's told me <laughs> to do this. And Paige was kind of one of the, the ringleaders of, all, of this movement, if you like. That's so cool. she's got this cachet yeah. as someone who made women's wrestling in America, mm-hmm. at least, fundamentally important. Mm-hmm. And I think the rap on her now is that she sort of coasted with this and she hasn't really improved, and she wasn't that good to begin with, just much better than the rest mm. who were pretty terrible. To me, the it was idea like... is that she's come in, not realized that she's been lapped as a talent, and she came in as, well, I've heard, because I'm not that invested, I've heard whispers that the women's wrestling isn't good here, and I'm going to save yes. it. And I think a lot of the AW fans were, we like it, we like more, but you're not as good as the best we've got here. And mm. she came off as entitled. Yep. And now she's turning heel. And again, she's doing this fed bad storyline where she's sort of being the, ah, oh, I'm from WWE, so I'm automatically better than the women's division. Yes. 
Don't you hate me, AEW fans? Because I'm talking about the competition. Like the Jericho stuff? Yeah, and it's I'm bored of it. I'm yeah, man. Rigid. It, it's just like, the, for me, the foundations weren't there. Like, I, I always heard of Paige, so that when she came out, I was like, oh, I recognize you. Like, cool, let's see what you can do. And then the mic spots were terrible. That bit when she made fun of Britt's name was just oh terrible. Oh, my God. Uh, like, stuff like that is almost, you can't really come back from that. that. That's almost as bad as the Shafir thing. In fact, it pretty much is. And so, yeah, and then, like, framing it as, like, this is my house, and I'm the revolution. It's like, well, you're not. You're fundamentally new. I don't know you. Yes. So, like, you coming in, it's, it's heel stuff. So then when Brit was like, no, this is, I've built this and I've been here longer. I was like, well, I'm entirely on Brit and Hater's side. Yeah. So it just didn't work at all. And then I, she's, Therese obviously better as a heel, but just like none of that foundational stuff worked whatsoever. And then none of the in-ring stuff has been that great either. And she just got given a win over Brit. So it's like, okay, Tony yeah. Khan, like sure. But like, uh, yeah, for me, if my only frame of reference is AW Soraya, it's terrible. Yeah. And it's one of those as well. Like the f- they've, they can't be blamed for like, weaving fan sentiment into the story and turning Soraya heel. But mm. for me, it's just so thin that the... Um, I used to work for WWE and all these women don't know what it's like to be a major league wrestler and we're going to taunt them. Or what. I just mm-hmm. hate it. Yeah. It's, I find it so <laughs> thin. I don't... Like, trust me, I've spent nearly seven years of my career. Someone once described me on Twitter as a professional hater. Very good. And I said, that's not an accurate description of my <laughs> job. And yet, even I don't hate WWE enough to be in every single Wednesday going, oh, God, I hope it just, that pseudo-representative WWE Soraya, I hope the AEW guys beat her. I, yeah. just, oh, I do not care. It's no. so thin. I don't know if Khan's got, like, seeds of, um, like, invasion storylines that he wants to do again. Like, that idea of, like... But the thing is, like like, like I said before, like that only works if WWE is the villain. And, like, obviously there's all the stuff that Vince is back on the board, whatever. But that worked way better as a, a generic sort of, like, approach when he was in charge, when he was calling creative, when he was forcing reins on uh, everybody, whatever. You have to go back quite a ways for that to feel like a general thing to rally against. And AEW's already done all that. Like, I mean, I wasn't the there then, but they, they did do that. I've seen the clips of it. Like, you yeah. know, they've already they've already done that. Like, you don't need to be doing this. You don't need to be doing it. And again, I think as well, like, one of the big things that, first of all, the AEW fan base exists because a lot of people were disillusioned with WWE. Mm. That's fine. You've done it. We've established that WWE's bad. <laughs> these things get tiresome. Mm-hmm. And I think what really helped early, and then everybody did it as a big sort of prominent part of storylines like they did with the JAS and the BCC, and now with this sort of homegrowns versus import storyline, mm-hmm. is that what happened in 2019 is when they had NXT go head-to-head with Dynamite, there was this vociferous, like, palpable feeling of, we hate WWE, because if they've done this to try and ruin... AEW's premiere and it's run on TNT and it just ends mm. before it even starts, then the resent the anti-WWE resentment was at its most fierce yeah. in 2019. And now that AEW is just existing and it's fine. The ratings are a straight line every week. They don't go up that drastically. They don't go down that <laughs> drastically. But w, uh, Warner Brothers and TNT and TBS are happy with it. Mm-hmm. WWE no longer feels like this ugly, spiteful, existential threat. Exactly, yeah. So I don't care about them. You'd, you'd have to, lines. like, that. there was recent comments from Khan over the weekend, or they went viral over the weekend, of, like, that idea about how dirty a business wrestling is and him saying that, like, WWE were trying to poach talent and were getting in touch to, um, you know, like, uh, with New Japan to, like, mess with Forbidden Door and all that kind of stuff. Like, that would be the thing to lean on. Like, and, and obviously, there's all the legal side of it, hence yeah. why he keeps saying allegedly. But, like, that would be the fun side of it, to be, like, how much of that is real, how much of that can you bring on, on, on cam kind of thing. But, yeah, like, most of it, the fundamentals aren't there. Like, I just... Soraya's not a threat. Like, I am on Brit and Hater's yeah. side. Like I said, I want Hater to soar solo anyway. 
Um, I don't get what Rebel brings to the whole thing whatsoever. I think so, like, Rebel's banter personally, but that's <laughs> a different story. If she did more stuff, I would. But um, but yeah, so like overall, that whole thing is just like, it's like four, it's just so separate. Like, why is Jade not a part of that? Like, she's homegrown AEW. She's yeah. really the first person saying, maybe they're building to that? Like, Jade versus Soraya? I don't know, but it needs it just needs investment. Like it, it just, just needs like, something other than the one no premise of yeah. WWE bad. Yeah, and I think WWE's bad for the most part, and I don't care even about that. <laughs> My highlight of the show came up next, right? Uh, yes, Lexi Nair interviews Mark Briscoe, and I would oh des- my god, yeah. And I would describe this as a, and I know ROH had TV, mm-hmm. but not like proper cable bells and whistles, episodic North American TV. Mm-hmm. So Mark Briscoe here kind of plays a fish out of water, yep. where as soon as he's got the camera in his face, he's intent, he's got something to say, and he's revving up to say it, that he can't get it out quick enough when he's asked a question. And then when he's interrupted by smart Mark Sterling, I hate the interruptions. Right. I feel like it's so stupid how the person is just hovering around their rival just or some random just waiting to get on TV to say it. I thought that you were the Dusty one, Dustin one, where it was just swerve was just like just slightly off camera. Yeah, it's yeah. so stupid. I think it's beneath AEW, but they do it. Maybe it isn't beneath them anymore, quite frankly. Mm. Mark Briscoe selling this as something weird and unusual, like it should be. Yeah. When he's playing the thick guy, but mm. he's very, very smart, it's just so clever and his Eyes were fantastic. And he's looking, I was like, why am I getting interrupted? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, bless you. I haven't watched the show. This is going to happen to you all the time. But I loved his innocence. It was so great. Mm-hmm. And then basically the gist is, if you haven't seen Rampage, is that smart Mark Sterling asks Mark Briscoe if he wants representation. No, thank you, sir. Yeah, I'm no, going solo you, sir. on this excursion. <laughs> Mark Briscoe's the goddamn best. And then smart <laughs> Mark Sterling takes umbrage to this. And then Josh Woods, one of his... Chicken Farmer. Chicken Farmer, which is a shoot. He is a legitimate chicken <laughs> farmer. Um, and then Josh Woods. Woodsy! Uh, basically, they're going to have a match at some point. In fact, they're going to have a match on Dynamite next week. What I forgot who that, that guy was. I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember him kind of vaguely. Not yeah, really. they had a fight with the acclaimed. and that, Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, but I loved, I mean, the, that Briscoe J. Lethal match was incredible. Like, uh, Briscoe's, I've never watched Briscoe much. The only um, Briscoe's matches I watched were the FTR trilogy. Yeah. Um, what an introduction. Well, that's the thing. I just thought it was because of Dax and stuff. I was like, I'm going to go back and watch this. Um, but yeah, it was just like, I trust entirely in Mark Briscoe. Like the, his form during the lethal match was incredible. That giant elbow drop was like picture perfect. Yeah. So I'm psyched to watch him do more stuff. Like I uh, I think Briscoe's a great addition. Like hopefully he plays more into just that innocence in a grand world of wrestling thing, um, which is a little bit like what Mox does. Of like, I just want to fight. Oh, Kingston does. I just want to fight. Yeah. Um, there's probably a very. I, I love how they've got no pretensions of TV. So yeah, what yeah. am I doing this for? Why are you here? Like, I just want to promote my fight and tell you what I want to do. I would take that as like a way of addressing, like you said, like the problems with, like, were you just standing over there? Or yeah. like, whatever. Like, I see you over there, sir. And something like that. You could do something with that. Yeah. But, uh, no, yeah Mark Briscoe rules. Very easy to love. Yeah, he's just the most lovable guy. He's just totally. unbelievable. Um, not lovable. It's a terrible segue. <laughs> Jungle Boy Jack Perry beats Nick Nemeth in a very quick match after which. After which uh, Brian Cage confronts him and asks for another match. I couldn't believe... Why are they doing this again? It wasn't even that good to begin with. Am I forgetting? Is, is it Nick Nemeth? I thought it was Brian Nemeth. Is it just Nemeth? It's Nick Nemeth, Mr. isn't Nemeth. it? Not Ryan Nemeth. Oh. Nick Nemeth is the shoot name of his brother Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> right, okay. Ryan Nemeth. I couldn't believe he wasn't on the Versus card. I was like, how good would you be? He's on the roster. Like, he's not a random guy from the local town who's just What's popped the in. Versus card? Oh, like, just right, like saying, the, all right, the match graphic, yeah, the yeah, inaction. Like, I guess I've been making up terms, but like, rather than saying... Because people... You know, he's in action. Watch it? I, yeah, but Maybe. they're still going to watch it because of Jungle Boy. If I was uh, Nemeth, I would be like, well, why am I not on the thing? He's meant to be the biggest geek in the world. Yeah. So maybe there's a cute 
sort of. I don't know. I thought it was a weird. It was a weird beat doing like a standard squash and like advertising it as a squash, and then it being someone on the roster, and then it not really being long enough to be an actual match. And Nemeth isn't a caliber of fighter to go up against Jungle Boy. It was just like a yeah. I guess we do something with Jungle Boy. It's like, that's a big problem of mine as well. Mm-hmm. It's pretext to an angle. We see it so often. Mm-hmm. Just do an angle, do a different angle, yeah. have an interruption. I actually really hate the we hear from stuff because it fundamentally tells me it largely won't matter. Like, I'd rather you did your storytelling in the ring. I'd rather you did it, like, in, through an interruption. I don't really care. I just don't like the we hear from segments. I just find them really boring. See, I don't mind that. I would prefer that way around. But it's interesting on the author's perspective. <laughs> I don't mind when we hear from and then they just do something. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like a nice scheduled part of the show makes it feels like a broadcast mm. that has been prepared for in advance and that feels real in a way that all of these contrived endless interruptions just make it feel like fake and you yeah. are contriving a bit of conflict to do something else. I've got no interest in Jungle Boy versus Brian Cage. No. I thought it was a nice little sub indie match with flashy moves and Brian Cage. Tony Khan has got this habit of picking someone he likes to lose and booking <laughs> them for like two months solid. Right. You had it with Bobby Fish. When people didn't want to see Bobby Fish no. for six weeks straight, it's just when it was like after all out. Right, Bobby Fish for six weeks. What? <laughs> Brian Cage is the new... Jay Lethal was that guy for ages in singles as well, mm-hmm. of the heel who can give you a half good match, but he's going to lose every time. Mm-hmm. So we've gone from Bobby Fish to Jay Lethal, and now Brian Cage is playing this role. And whenever I spot that pattern, I instantly turn off. I'm always, like, consistently impressed by Cage. Like, I always think that, like, obviously he's huge, like the whole Swolverine thing, but he is really capable in the ring, and he yes. does surprise me athletically. He is doing, like, top rope spots and whatever. So I, I do like those matches. I'm always apprehensive, though, like you are going in, but then I always come away from them going, like, ah, I need to stop doubting him. Like, I'm sure it'll be solid. It's one of those where, yes, he is... Good, and he can at times make me think that, but his act is big guy doing yeah. small guy stuff. I've been watching it for years at right. this point, so for me, the one-dimensional nature of it is kind of exposing mm-hmm. itself. I'll definitely take, if you talk about like what big guys do, I'm definitely more up for big guy do flip than like than Satnam Singh, where he's just he's just big and that's his thing. He's like, what's he doing? He's being big. It's Again, it's fascinating because for people who've been in the weeds of pro wrestling for years and years, that that's been subverted. Your take there, yeah, right. Uh, loads of people were loving big guy does small stuff, but that's kind of a cliche in wrestling mm. to those who are like deep in the weeds of it. To the point where now people just like the old school. Mm. You're not a squash match guy, so you're not going to like Satnam. No, but but he hasn't really done any fun squashes either. Like his actual abilities, just I think Satnam and that whole faction is so boring, man. I love them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember um, uh, Murray said he's a big fan as well. But um, yeah, I just, I just Salem's just. It, you get it? He's big. He's gonna come in and stand there. Yeah, like if you do things on him, it doesn't hurt him because he's sat down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If he could fly through the air, I'd be more on board. Look at us having a reasonable conversation where we disagree, but we don't have to <laughs> mutilate each other on Twitter. It's actually possible. Oh my god! If you can get Salem into like a crossbody, like that would he just. Does? When's he done that? I'm dark. Ah, the one time I don't watch yeah, dark. Yeah. I, I would watch him do fly stuff. Because basically, my frame of reference is Keith Lee. Every time Keith Lee does something where it's unexpected, he flips over the top rope. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, okay. Right, you, okay. I you have that in your... to go back. I yeah, yeah, Because Keith, yeah. Keith Lee just rules so I much. also remember, oh my God, my reference is being ancient when Viscera did that forward flip kick thing in like 97 or something. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big deal for little me. Going yeah. like, oh my God, the big guy did a thing. So I'm always going to go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, next we had Ortiz admitting that he messed up with Eddie Kingston, but he's not going to let Kingston become a martyr for the House of Black. So 
he'll still fight him if that's what Kingston wants. Sure. What are your thoughts on all this? I'm so I I read recaps of it and I my notes of it and I watch it and it shouldn't be as confusing as I find it. I don't know why they're fighting. I don't know. Like they haven't. Like I don't get it. Like, like it's just this weird. They're trying to do the thing where Kingston is his own worst enemy, and that obviously you know that's that's a very Kingston thing to do. Um, but the actual foundational steps of why they're fighting it was like this weird misunderstanding from what House of Black said. Whatever. Like okay, at some point you just need to have a match, so we just need to make this. Or work. you can just watch the telly. Yeah, yeah. But it was just like this weird. Just watch thing. the telly on the show that you know exists as a television program. Mm-hmm. Clarify the silly misunderstanding. Whenever. Ortiz and Kingston talk about this stuff. I don't believe a single mm. word coming out of their mouth. And when I don't believe a word that's coming out of Eddie Kingston's mouth, something's the gone real massively guy wrong. Promotion, yeah. Exactly, something has gone massively wrong. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I like the idea of like, I liked the idea of like Kingston versus Malachi. Like, you, I think you could do more with that. I, I don't know, like, I just, Kingston always feels underused. Like, I just sort of, like, I loved his punk feud. Um, like, I'm, I, I'm low key hoping of a, I'm just hoping he's the one who eventually dethrones MJF. I, I would love that. That would make my life. As the weeks go by, it becomes a more remote possibility <laughs> when you see the kind of dreck that they're giving him at the minute. Mm-hmm. Here's something that'll cheer up. It's the Rene Paquette <laughs> Hangman Page segment. I like how they've like sort of hung a lantern on the idea that it's her every week, so that mm. doesn't feel too much like a contrivance. Then again, it is her job. And he goes, why is it always you? Why is it always you? And he's complaining about the outcome of their third match, which mm-hmm. is awesome, mm-hmm. saying that, you know, I ate his ass alive for the final two minutes, <laughs> which is just an incredible bit of... Uh, that bit where people zoomed in on Renee's face, they're trying, to, trying to hold the laugh in. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. It's absolutely class. I love the story. I like how it was advanced here. The idea of, no, we're going to fight to the death one of these days, and I mm-hmm. think they are going to do a literal Texas death match. Cool. But there is a big trope in WWE where someone will win with a legitimate wrestling hold, but they'll frame it as, oh, you got lucky there. It's like, no, right. he's just a superior wrestler. Mm. So I like how they've made that good in AEW with the idea of that wasn't in the unwritten sort of conduct mm. book that we sort of unwritten together. We're going to kill each other and you didn't kill me. So <laughs> we'll have to have a match where you kill me or I kill you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Hangman's like my absolute favorite. So I am rooting for whatever he wants to do. Um, I love the back and forth of he gets knocked out. It is real. Like he had that miraculous recovery thing from the concussion or uh, being knocked out. Then they kayfabe knocking out Moxley. And then like, I just like that back and forth. Like I love, like I said, we talked before about like getting your biggest guys to fight each other, like biggest in terms of reputation and everything. I don't know who's going to win a Hangman Mox match. Like that's yes. fundamentally so fascinating and exciting and interesting. So I'm there for it by default. And um, before you get to all the wider stuff of what it means to Hangman to fight Mox and even Mox saying like, no one's ever put me down like that. Like that's cool. That elevates Hangman. Like yes. that's a big deal because Mox never loses. So that's a huge deal. So I love everything about this. Um, I'm just not actually what they're seeding with that Renee stuff. Like there was a bit, um, I think it was the first time he talked to her where he was like oh I'm kind of done with this and like I'm gonna go mend some bridges and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done and then the next time he was like a little bit flirty with her and he, I was just like are you setting up like a is she into him too are we kayfabing this I weird? don't think there's anything like that I don't know what the hell that is you know that she's married to Moxley I do know that's yes, the thing I, yes. Yes. that's why I was like are you setting up that he's you're going for your rival's partner kind of thing I think they wanted to pair them together in these backstage segments to make the tension feel more real mm. into because they trusted Renee Paquette to be able to be a bit uncomfortable around Paige. He's just, like, made, rendered his her husband unconscious. Mm-hmm. So I think they thought there was real potential there to make this 
reality-based storyline feel more real. Well, they but did, if I they've think... got you thinking it's a love triangle and they failed dismally. It was ex- it was specifically because, it was after the second interview where the segment ended, oh, back to you guys, and they keep the camera rolling, and then Paige breaks character and they break the fourth wall kind of thing, and he's just like, oh, no, but actually, is Mox okay? And then she's like, oh, yeah, he's okay, and she's sort of looking at the ground, she sort of doesn't know where to look, and it just felt there was a little bit of energy there. And I was like, are you, are you planting seeds here? Like, I don't think this is right, Scott. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Can't believe they're going to be shagging on Dynamite next week. If it is scooped by what culture, Scott Taylor. Hey, man, if that comes true. When I was on here with Hamflirt, we were talking about um, when Cassidy got the belt, and I was like, I think his whole reign is just going to be him popping up ba- randomly in the background going like, do you want a title match? Because I got a belt. We could do it. And then um, they literally did that the next week. So strange things have happened. Right, okay. Well, you've heard it here first. I'm just That's saying. where it's going. If they plant that storyline seed. You said you're up for anything. Before we get to the main event, <laughs> you, you said you're up for anything, Hangman Page related. What yes. about a match with Kip Sabian? That's happening on Dynamite on Wednesday. And hopefully he'll flatten the hell out of him. I don't care about Kip Sabian. I think a lot of people have said, oh, it's going to be a squash this. But they've mm. just had Sabian compete and hang in there with the BCC. They had a 15-minute match with Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a squash. I think it should be a squash, but I don't think it's going to be a I'm up for like a proper match. Like when uh, Kip came in and like they yeah, like set it up and announced it and stuff, like, yeah, sure. Like I, I don't care about Kip Sabian. He's not done anything that I've really liked. I think it's interesting because I came in when he was still the cardboard guy in the audience. Yeah. So then it was like this massive buildup. And then when he came back, and it was, it's oh just, my God, it's Kip Sabian. Everyone's like, what? Yeah, he's rubbish. Who's this guy? And so I still have who's this guy yeah. in me, but I know he's, I know the name. I think I like, I like the name Kip Sabian more than him. But, like, I'm still curious what he's going to do. Yeah, no, he's, um, he's just a bit rubbish, Scott. Right, okay. He's, he's, I thought the Cassidy match was really strong, uh-huh. but I just fundamentally know he's playing a character uh-huh. and don't believe anything he's saying. I don't mind it being this sort of, like, um, like English Joker, almost, where he's sort of, like... God. It depends how it's done, but, like, I don't think it's done well, but, like, no. that's kind of what he's going for, where it's like, hello. It's almost like William Regal. Like, it was just this sort of, like, gentleman villain kind of thing. Um, yeah, I guess I'm curious. I love Hangman, so I'll watch Hangman. Okay. <laughs> Did you say at the start that you didn't like the main event of this show? Uh, sounds like something I would say. What was the main event again? Orange Cassidy versus Lee Moriarty. No, I didn't say that. It was all right. All right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't oh. really care about Lee Moriarty. I sort of, I like Tiger style. I like the term Tiger style. Yes. And I like um, when he sort of like channels that. But I, every time Lee Moriarty's not right in front of me, I forget about Lee Moriarty. Okay, well, I had a problem with this match, and I'm mm. going to see if you share it. Yes. So basically, I give you the most... General overview of it. Um, I thought Moriarty's aggression here and his intensity was superb. I genuinely thought as a result of his application and how much he sort of didn't labor on doing the same body part assault for minutes on an end, how he cycled through it, mm. how he adapted all of his offense to continue putting the hurting on that arm. Mm-hmm. And Cassidy's selling mostly was really good and made it feel like he was in a battle here. Mm-hmm. I had a problem with it. Did you have any problems with this match as it unfolded or not? No, not really. I mean, no, I thought it was enjoyable enough. I mean, me and you are both Cass- big Cassidy fans. So I'm. So that's the thing. Some people I'm just happy watching. I do obviously recognize the, you know, it's the pocket spot again. It's like they're doing the same beats again, same comedic beats. Um, but no, I thought it was enjoyable enough. I like the the ramp over the ramp up over time, and like because I don't have much of a, a conscious sort of remembrance of what Moriarty can do. Then whenever he does do something that's really cool, like some flying fist off the top rope or whatever, I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's Tiger style, I guess. And I kind of just want more from that. Um, so no, I had, a, I had a nice enough time with it. I thought Cassidy's selling was really inconsistent mm. because. He was selling the hell out of it. He's got a tremendous ability to evoke sympathy. Mm. And then there was a bit when they were sort of jostling for position on the top turnbuckle and Cassidy got, I think it was a DDT of, that he just, how can you do that with your arms when they've been brutalized? There was a disconnect for me there 
between his selling and his comeback mm. was there for you. And in general, because you're a casual fan <laughs> and selling gets talked about in really nerdy, hardcore wrestling circles mm. is the be all and end all. It is really, really obviously massively important, mm-hmm. but the importance, the extent to which it's important is gets debated as one of the big recurring conversations in wrestling. How <laughs> much is selling in pro wrestling from your perspective? And I'm not saying that you speak for all of the casual fans. No. But it's interesting to get your perspective on it. Like, how much does it matter to your enjoyment of a match? Do you track it as it goes on? Mm. Do you get removed from a match if you feel like the selling isn't there? I think it, if it affects the pace, then I start to notice it. I, I get so bored with matches that are just limb work the entire time. Like, if it's just literally this person's arm gets injured in the first five minutes and then there's just a ton of, like, limb work for that in, for 20 minutes. I'm, I'm just bored. I'm just bored by it. Um, I, like the, I like the consistency. I mean, I, just yesterday I watched um, FGR versus the Bucks for the first time. And obviously, like, there's that super kick that wins at the end on the, the knackered leg yeah. um, from Matt Jackson. And that was great. And it's like a barefoot kick that wins the match after everything that he's endured. So it fundamentally matters to the finish. I like that. If you can make it matter, it's cool. Um, I'm just a big pacing. What am I actually watching? Am I quite bored? Like, whatever. It just depends. I love Danielson. He's another, like, top guy for me. So, I obviously, he specializes a lot in, like, lots of limb work stuff. I think he makes it work. Um, and it's just it just depends how much they lean on it. Like, it depends how much it affects the, the pace of the match. I did notice the thing that you just mentioned about them, like, the him doing the DDT or whatever off the top and then just being like, oh, but that you should have been affected by that. I'm sure when he lands, he then grabs his arm again. Yeah, so that is a trick that the modern wrestler will yeah. do. Which I, I'm all for, like, if this was a like an actual fight kind of thing, it's like adrenaline takes over for a yes. bit. I'm going to do this anyway. Um, and that idea of, like, how much are you, like, ex- expending that limb. I, I, yeah, I do track it. I just, um, for me, it only becomes a problem if it directly impacts the match. If I'm just, I always get bored by one-sided matches, like do- most Derby matches. Yeah. As um, much as I love Derby Allen, he's just getting beaten up for 15 minutes. And, like, it depends if it becomes that style overall. Ah, so your interpretation of selling, not that I want to put words in your mouth, mm-hmm. is, and indeed with all things wrestling, if it's good, it's good, and if it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I'm just an overall, like, yeah, am I engaged by what's happening on screen? Yeah. Um, and have you started doing a bunch of limb work because you're maybe not communicating as much in the ring? And, like, like what did you have planned backstage? Is this really the best you can do? Um, obviously, it differs by wrestler whether they want to improvise stuff and whatever, but it, is it noticeable that you're falling back on another arm hold, another yeah. arm bar or whatever? Like, it, it just depends how much it affects it, yeah. But it can be a compelling part of a match if there is an actual payoff. Yeah. Like, that's what I guess, I, that's when I would prefer selling stuff I guess ah. like the Timothy Thatcher Danielson match was like yeah. this back and forward wrenching like approach to like stretching each other out Jericho was all about stretching people out like it depends if it pays off I think for me yeah yeah. Ah, well, you gotta do, do something with it like I said like if I am um, like I said I just watched that FTR match and I was like that's so cool that he won with this like weird broken kick I, yeah. I, I love that like as, yeah. an, as an idea anyway because he was like just, he needed it so much that he kind of fought through that and he's like hobbling like for the through. setup yeah and then still like like Right on the on the button kind of thing and like gets it right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think if it can sometimes factor into like some. I mean, yeah, it does make like submission holds like way more intense as well. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I know, I don't think about it too much, but if I start thinking about it, then it just depends how much how purposeful it is to the overall picture of that match. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Well, you heard it here first. Doesn't matter <laughs> as long as it's good. Anything's good matters if you've got good taste. True. So I was really interested in that conversation because I do think that I'm trying to articulate some of the core problems that remain with AEW. And mm. It was nice to get your perspective. Basically, stables suck. <laughs> Selling doesn't matter. Hangman Page is going for Moxley's Huaf. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, can't shag- get him away. The shagging's going to happen. So uh, <laughs> let us know if anyone out there 
inferred a massive affair from Renee. No, no, I'm not saying that they're <laughs> shocking up. Yeah. I'm just saying that there was a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of flirtatious energy. Not being funny, they're two incredibly good-looking people. Well, it would make sense, but obviously, so maybe even if they weren't telling that story, the story was just written all over them, whether they mm. wanted it to or not. Let's know if they're going to shag um, <laughs> underneath the Twitter <laughs> post uh, to this podcast at What Culture WWE. If you want some gaming takes, primarily mm. from Scott Tailford, you can catch him on Twitter at. You can. I'm at. LP89. There are three podcasts a week with myself, Josh Brown, Jules Gill, and a rotating chair of people that we haven't started yet. Oh. We'll start that this week. Oh. You might be on it, Mr. Sidgwick. I'll do a it. gaming podcast. Yeah. If think of a topic, I'll definitely Nintendo do Switch. Absolutely. N64, whatever we want. I'll do a podcast. I'd love to do a gaming podcast. You can Easy. follow me for pretty much 98% wrestling takes at M. Sidgwick. You can follow all the guys at What Culture WWE at What Culture WWE. Stick around. We are reviewing SmackDown. That's myself and Hamlet, who is the same duo that are going to preview WWE Raw. So that'll drop into your feeds later today. And until then, thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.